Good morning. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bible, would love for you to open it up to Psalm chapter 6. If you're new with us, we make a habit here of going verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we also use seasons of transition in between series or things like the new year to preach sequentially through the Psalms, and so we've been doing that for a while, and here we are in Psalm 6. So if you hang out with us till about 2050, we may make it all the way through, and uh, everybody who's here, who's here on that day, will have like some kind of golden plaque, we'll lay bricks out in the pavement or something for everybody who made it all the way there. Uh, we'll see if I'm alive then or not. But it is a joy to be here. We call it the gospel in the Psalms because all of uh, the scripture is about Jesus and the Psalms have this unique way of, of, of identifying with our lived experience in this world and drawing us into the, the joys and the trials and the, the celebrations and the pain and orienting us really around the good news of the gospel in it. And obviously it is the new year and typically with the new year comes like a lot of peppy messages about, you know, how to organize your closets, how to put kale in your smoothies, how to, you know, read more books and be more healthy. And here we've been in like Psalm 5 and 6, which is about difficulty, disease, suffering, struggle, trial. And it's kind of a downer, you know, you're flipping through your Apple news feed and it's like kettlebells and HelloFresh and diet stuff and the top 20 books to read. And then we dive into the Psalms and it's like, well, I mean, what are you trying to do? Kill our joy or what? And uh, you could see it that way or you could see it as the scriptures giving to us an honest picture of what life really looks like. Because as much as we want to say new year, new you, the real reality is new year, same you and same me. We're coming into 22 and we got all of our same sin, our suffering, difficulty in us and around us and in this world. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a subtle bit of delusion to think that just because we flip over the calendar, suddenly now all of our sin struggles are gone. All the injustices in, in the world are pushed back and everything is just going to be great. No, as Michael Emlet would say, we all really come back into this year as humans, as saints and sinners and sufferers. And thanks be to God that he gives to us in his word, and especially in a passage like Psalm 6, a real look at, at who he is. That we don't get a, a rose-colored God who just paints the world as already okay and everybody is fine, but he gives us real truth and hope to navigate a life of sin inside of us and suffering around us for his glory. Psalm 6 does that. It comes to us in our sin and in our suffering to give us a God ready to sanctify us and save us from our sin and ready to sustain us in our suffering for his glory. It presents this God of the universe as a God of steadfast love and compassion who hears the cries of his people and comes into that sinfulness and into that suffering with his presence to sanctify and heal deliver and defend us. Psalm 6 gives us, as God does all the time, a gift. It doesn't come demanding on us. It comes giving to us a gift called deliverance. God is good and holy and righteous, and he's coming this morning to deliver us from sin inside us and to sustain and deliver us from suffering around us. And there's one invitation that we'll see in this passage, and it's the invitation to cry out. This morning, rather than pretending like we've got this all figured out and we're just going to purge and organize and, 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 and get our life all figured out and get our own way to, to, to sinless perfection in this year and everything's just going to be great, no, it's an invitation to cry out from a place of honesty, 
to breathe and to exhale and to be honest with ourselves this morning and to acknowledge that there's hard, sorrowful, difficult pieces to life that we are navigating and to cry out that there would be help from heaven, help from another place, a a king, a savior, a rescuer who would come to save us, who would come to deliver and to sustain us. And this passage this morning is really broken up into two big sections, a section on desperation and a section on deliverance. But the, the pieces of how the psalmist is crying out for uh, deliverance in his desperation kind of has two different pieces. And so we're going to chart through this morning and God disciplining us in our sin, God delivering us in our, in, in our suffering, and then God defeating our every enemy. And so I'd love to pray for God's help this morning as we engage in this text. God, we And I bow before you as a a sinner and a sufferer and in desperate need of help. Saving help to liberate me from sin, to liberate us from sinfulness, to sustain and carry and deliver us from suffering and pain and darkness. We need your powerful arm to come and to defeat our enemies and to save us. And so this morning... As we sit and hear your word and your voice speak, open our ears. God, make us hearers who would receive this word and be transformed by it. For our joy and for your glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So first, God disciplines us in our sin. In verses 1 through 3, we read, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? It's been said by some that this passage of this, this, this chapter of Scripture is, is, is exclusively about repentance and sin. It's also been said by others that it's exclusively about like physical deliverance. But, but more accurately, probably, it's, it's a psalm about general desperation. It's about dealing with sin and suffering. And here at the beginning, the psalmist is in recognition that he is a sinner. Even as we read earlier in Psalm 51, that the psalmist knows that against God and God only has he sinned. He knows he has sin in his heart and that it's making a major problem between him and the Lord. Ultimately, he knows, as we would rightly understand and know that his sinfulness rightly would warrant the anger and the wrath of God. That as righteous and holy as God is, the psalmist is not God. The psalmist is not righteous and holy as God is. And he's to some degree aware that rebuke and anger and wrath would be the right response of God on his sin. And yet he's pleading in this psalm that God would not respond to his sinfulness in the way that he deserves. He knows what he deserves, and he says, God, don't respond to me that way. Don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, but be gracious to me. This morning, if you've never heard the gospel, that is the essence of the gospel, is that a holy and righteous God who's eternally separate from us and who he is and how righteous he is would give to us what we don't deserve, namely, grace. Welcome and pardon, unearned by any righteousness of our own. And in the gospel, that's what God does hold out to us. We're given an opportunity 
to be related to God in a radically different way. Rather than being enemies and rebels who, as sinners, receive the wrath and anger of God, we're given the opportunity to be sons and daughters of God who, instead of wrath and anger, receive gracious discipline. Rather than a consuming wrath, it's the the gracious discipline of a father. Discipline rather than destruction is the invitation that the gospel gives us in light of our sin. He's pleading, the psalmist is, for this grace. He's longing to be given this grace, and yet even in the meantime, he's suffering. You see, he's crying out for grace as he, in verse 2, is languishing. As his bones are troubled, as his soul is greatly troubled. There's a a misnomer, a misunderstanding that would say that because we might, might would believe in grace and lean on grace and plead for grace, that that somehow absolves us of our trouble, that it gives us sort of a, a license to sin and, and to be indifferent toward it. But no, his grace comes to us as we suffer through, as we wail through, as we groan through our sinfulness and as we cry out for his grace, not to simply sweep our sin under the rug, no, but to lead us to repentance, to to drive us into this response to our sinfulness that we see as rightfully deserving God's anger and wrath, but we're pleading for his grace and he gives us gracious discipline instead of consuming wrath. And then what does that produce in us? Not lukewarm apathy or indifference to our sinfulness. No, it produces a red-hearted, worshiping repentance. It's this worship of a God who's ready and delights to give grace undeserved to sinners. And yet we're in this spot where we're languishing and we're, we're, we're in turmoil. We're, we're seeing in us sin. And as Paul would say, I, I see in my members this sin that's at war with the Spirit and the glory of God. And that's, that, that sets our soul into turmoil. And we're, we're left there. We're left there in this lifelong battle against what we see as the righteousness of God, what we long for as a life of righteousness. And yet what we're unavoidably battling, which is sin that's still dwelling in our members. And it's that long life, that, that unavoidable, inescapable wrestle that leads the psalmist here to say, how long? How long am I going to be wrestling here in this fallen, broken world and in this fallen, sinful body? How long? Like, wouldn't you just rescue me already? Wouldn't you just save already? Wouldn't you just deliver already? It's this waiting that we're not good at. I'm not good at. We don't like to wait. We want to be better already, sanctified already, smarter already, wiser already, fitter already, whatever we want to be. We want it all. We don't like waiting, especially when we're in this hard space of navigating suffering and sin, and we're crying out to God, and frankly, we're not getting what we're asking for. We're not seeing sanctification accelerate at the rate we wish it would. We're not seeing relief come at the rate we wish it would. And here's the psalmist in, in honesty crying out, How long, O oh Lord? And maybe that's where we are this morning crying out, 
waiting for God to work out his will in us, to discipline and correct and sanctify us, to come and deliver and to save us. And John Owen talks about this idea of waiting and how waiting for the full work of God to flesh itself out in our lives is so critical to seeing the transforming grace of God actually manifest in us. And he says, waiting is the grace and particular action of faith, which God calls us to when we are in such a condition. God calls for waiting and laboring, attending in prayer, as the eye of a servant rests upon his master. Oftentimes we are too hasty and resist the call to wait and thus miss all that God intends to free and deliver us from and give, us, and give to us. We become, in that instance, self-healers rather than those healed by the Holy Spirit. When we are too much in a hurry, we seek peace outwardly but don't feed deeply upon the promises of God, and we mix it in with our faith so that all of God's divine blessings might pour into our souls. John Owen is saying there's this waiting, there's this staying to wait for God to work his deliverance and his grace down deep into the core of our souls, that if we rush through it, we will miss all of the treasures of glory that God really intends to manifest up out of our battle with sin and suffering. How long, O oh Lord? This is the honest cry from fragile, limited, sinful souls amidst deep pain. It's this response to seeing our good God and yet experiencing the, the difficulty of our sinfulness and our suffering and we cry out how long oh lord how long and it's as, if, as it, it's as if god would say only as long as is necessary only as long as is necessary for you to discover the deep depths of my love for you to 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 have cultivated in you a, in, in, in us a longing for his ways uh, only long as is necessary for us to be delivered by his power only as as long as is necessary to be transformed by his grace. It's as if God is seeing us suffering in our sin and pain, and he's hearing our cry, how long? And he's just saying, hold on. Hold on, dear saint. Only as long as is necessary, blessing awaits. It's in that painful discipline and that waiting for God to work out his will, though, that the scriptures say that we shouldn't spurn that discipline. We shouldn't look at that painful waiting as the punishment of God on us, but rather that as sons and daughters of God, we should receive it as the manifestation of his love. That as we, as we struggle, as we battle, as we wrestle with God in relation to our sin and suffering, as we ask him how long, as we do that battle with God, and he's working on us, and he's sanctifying us, and he's chiseling us, and he's working sanctification down deep in us. That's not punishment. It's provision of grace down deep in us to, to save and to liberate us. And that's what really Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 is, is inviting us into when we're walking through the discipline of the Lord. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every, sin, every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all 
have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. This morning, if you're wrestling with your sin, if you're seeing it and it's, it's, it's causing you languish and trouble down deep in your bones and you're, you're, you're crying out, God, how long? And you're experiencing his long time sanctifying work on you. Rest assured this morning, you're not the recipient of God's punishment. You're the, you're the, you're the beneficiary of his grace. It's, it's love that would discipline out that sin and replace it with righteousness. This fruit of righteousness that the discipline of God trains us for. Praise be to God that in the gospel, he does make us sons and daughters. And because he makes us sons and daughters, he comes to us in our sin, not as a condemning judge, but as a loving father to discipline and gather us and, re and rescue us from the sin that he knows is destroying us. He comes, not with destroying wrath, but disciplining grace. And this morning, Psalm chapter 6 holds that out to us. A God ready to save us, to sanctify us, and to make us His own. But He also comes to deliver us in our suffering. In verse 4, the psalmist says, Turn O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. It's un. It's a bit uncertain what the psalmist is dealing with here. Some say that it's David fleeing Absalom, but inevitably, it's, this, this, is, this is not a hangnail. This is not a, a cold. This is deep, immense suffering, and the psalmist is crying out for deliverance. This word, turn, O Lord, Eugene Peterson phrases it this way in his paraphrase of the Bible in the message. He says, God, break into my mess. Get involved, God. The, the variables of my life are in chaos. And brokenness and difficulty and disaster is abounding. And what I need right now is God to break in. And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us are in a spot where we need God to break in. We need God to break in to spaces that we've been begging for him to come into to deal with sin that we've been begging him to set us free from, to, to, to put up underneath his feet enemies that we've been begging for him to conquer. And the heart cry of honesty isn't, I got this. It's God, break in. Turn. Turn back this way and come get involved in this. And that's what the psalmist is crying out. Because this is, is serious. And we do well to, 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 to pull the mask off this morning and to acknowledge we're walking through serious suffering. This world is not heaven. <laughs> Newsflash 2022 America is not New Jerusalem. I'm in it, right? I'm here. 
Sorry about that. You're here. If you're thinking about joining our church, we're here. So this is not the nucleus of the New Jerusalem here. No, we're, we're a bunch of desperate, weak, battle-mangled people crying out, God, get involved in this, please. Come. This is, this is real, raw honesty. In death, there's no remembrance of you. In shale, who will give you praise? Now, I don't know whether he's despairing of his own life, and this is coming from a place of him really wrestling with, should I even stay in this world, or whether an outside enemy is coming at him so hard that he thinks he might die. All I'm just saying is, he's, he's, he's face to face with death. He's wrestling with the realities of the hardness of the world. Fear, evil, enemies, wickedness. And he's saying, God, what, what, what good am I if I'm dead? I can't praise you. I can't magnify your name. I can't exalt your goodness in the world. Dead? He's walking through a pain so deep, he's weary. He's weary with moaning. Words, words, aren't, words aren't here anymore. He's laying on his bed, and his pain is so deep, he's just moaning before the Lord. Literally, I drenched my couch with weeping. One uh, commentator said it was like, my my, my tears are making my couch float. Just weeping before the Lord. And in in a new year, in a weird way, isn't it liberating that God would give us the license to just be that way before him? To, To not muscle up? To not... Smear lipstick all over this thing to try to make it look better, but just to say, God, I'm weary. This world is broken. My sin is causing me to languish. The diseases of my family and friends that won't go away is confusing and disorienting and debilitating. My wayward kids not coming back and pursuing a life that I see destroying them is is withering my bones away. The constant friction and drama and, and chaos and conflict in my marriage or in my relationships is, is taking a toil on me, and I'm, I'm weary, and I'm crying out, get, get involved, God. That's the, the heart cry of a gospel-formed people. Not muscling up in a, in a mirage of strength to give to the world some, some, some cheap fabrication of what only God can give. It's all of us laying down our lives and crumbling before him and saying, I'm, we, we, we are weary. But, but you're not weary. You're, you're the same yesterday and today and forever. You're not depleted. You're not confused. You're not unwise. You're not distracted. You're sovereign, you're righteous, you're good, you're kind, you're wise, you're holy, you're, you're omniscient, and I'm asking you to, to come, get in this with me. And that's this cry that God is giving to us. That's the, the cry that God is asking from us. He's longing that we would come in that kind of honesty. In the midst of your suffering this morning, likely in my suffering, likely we are going to either clench our teeth and grit ourselves up to be okay and to make it, or we're just going to come confessing 
we're weary and we're weak and we're needy. And I'm just holding out to you that that's where God wants you. He, he doesn't want us coming in a pretentious attitude of, of strength. Like we got what it takes to, to battle this thing out. He wants us coming with this cry in our hearts. Why? Because of his steadfast love. In verse 4, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. That for the sake of is a, it's an interesting word to try to figure out. It's, it, it can mean like for the sake of like to, to manifest your steadfast love, to put your love on display. But also it's because of your steadfast love. Come get in this mess where you don't belong. You righteous, holy, sovereign, wise God. Why? Because of your covenant love. This Hesed covenant, immovable, unshakable love that God has for us in Christ that sent him in the Son to this earth, that, that, that brought Jesus into this mess. That's why he comes. He comes because of love, steadfast, immovable, unconditional love that this morning if, if you're a believer in Christ, if you followed him, it's, it's set on you because of the finished work of his son who lived and died and rose again. If you're not a believer in this room, the love of God moves toward us, not as we earn it and warrant it by how well we navigate life and how morally we can get ourselves. It comes to us as we crumble ourselves and cry out, I'm weary, come help. There's no other... Whom have I in heaven? And earth has nothing besides you that I desire. Come help. That's why he comes. This steadfast love of God in Christ moves toward us in our suffering to deliver us. When we are weary, when we are weeping, when grief is so thick that it causes our eyes to waste away and our bodies to grow weak. The good news of the gospel is not that we figure out some way to weasel out of it. The good news of the gospel is that in that moment, the God of steadfast love and the power of the universe comes. He does come. He does turn. He does get involved and he does come to deliver. When this whole world seems against you, enemies seem against you, sin inside you is against you, the good news of Psalm 6 is that God is for you in the gospel. He's with you, he's in you, he's for you. And our hope today and every day isn't in ourselves, it is in this God who comes to deliver. And that he does in verse 8 through 10, that's where this passage shifts from desperation to deliverance. When the psalmist has just, in a, in a degree of honesty, frankly, that I've never even come a, 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 a millimeter to approaching. He's poured his heart out to the Lord. And then he says in verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Why? For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a 
moment. What happens here? God hears. Like he heard in Exodus, like he's heard for all time, he hears the cries of his people. And when he hears, he rends the heavens and he comes. And the mountains melt and the seas divide. Because when he comes for his kids, he's on a mission. And when he's on a mission, he ensures that it is successful. And in this moment, all the foes that David or this psalmist could never even possibly imagine how he could ever get on top of, they are toppled. What was causing him languish and trouble and moaning and weeping, it doesn't end in this passage, but it gets reframed. He doesn't say here, all of my enemies, they're gone my life's great, my bank account's full, kale's in the smoothie, my book stack's high, my abs are visible, my marriage is healthy, my kids are home. No. So what he says. But all of that enemy and evil and sin and desperate suffering gets reframed. And he says, the Lord heard my cry, depart from me all you workers of evil, all my enemies will be ashamed. I've got a different perspective now. God heard my cry. He dispensed to me transforming grace. And now the whole way that he sees this story going turns. David doesn't do anything flashy in Psalm 6. He doesn't go on a mission trip to Guatemala. He doesn't buy groceries for a family in need. He doesn't help an old lady to their car. He doesn't memorize 16 verses of Scripture. No, he cries out. In absolute humble desperation, and God answers. And would we be a people that would bear that testimony from whatever is causing us just immense, unbelievable, inescapable sorrow this morning? That we didn't try to muster up morality, that we didn't try to reinvent some flashy actions to get God to do something, but that we melted and that we cried out and that we saw God answer. We saw him hear, and we saw him deliver. Because you see, the Bible reminds us that when we are in our sin and we're despicable before God, when we're in our suffering and we can't even imagine that he could possibly even see us or would ever even want anything to do with us, that, my friends, is the voice of the devil. That is the voice of the accuser. That's a lie from hell because the truth of the scripture is that when you're in your sin and when you're surrounded in suffering and you're crumbled into a million pieces and you in all of that raw, honest filth cry out to God in faith, guess what he does? He hears. He hears. And he doesn't just hear because he has to hear. He hears and responds because he wants to. He delights to. He doesn't just hear this prayer. He accepts this prayer in verse 9. We weak, fledgling, sinful, needy, desperate men and women cry out to a God who loves to hear it. He loves to flex his muscles in our lives to save us, to sanctify us, to deliver us, and to rescue us, and to defeat our enemies. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't shrink back. If your sin feels too filthy to ever even name to God, if your suffering seems so deep and inescapable and horrific to ever even bring to God, don't, don't shrink back from bringing it. No, no, run to him. 
Because he loves when we bring what is so impossible for us to carry to him and just leave it there. He says, cast your cares upon me. Why? Because I care for you. He cares for you. And he longs and loves to deliver us. Oh, praise God for mercy and grace. Praise Him for steadfast love. Praise Him that in an unbelievable way this morning in the gospel, He's for you. He's for you. He hears our prayer. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. The psalmist is looking at these enemies and Here in verse 10, he says, All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. What the irony, right? All of the enemies this morning that are shaming you with guilt, the heaping condemnation on you, how could you ever do that again? How could you just keep on wallowing in that sin? How could you stay in that pattern of, of wicked evilness over and over again? Your, 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 your refuse, they're, they're, all of those enemies that are heaping all of that shame and condemnation on you in the gospel, in the second return of Christ, they're put to shame. There's a day coming when whatever is shaming you this morning will be put to open shame in him. When he reveals that all of that recitation of your guilt has already actually been nailed to the cross. It's died with Christ. And all that energy that the enemy has spent shaming you is actually spent shaming who you used to be. Your old man which was crucified with Christ and that you're actually made new. He's going to put them to Shame. And it says that they will turn back. In verse 4, the psalmist's sin and suffering had so enveloped him that he felt that God was far. God, you're far and absent and unconcerned, and I'm asking you to turn back and get involved in this. Because what's occupying the space of my life and soul is my sin and suffering. And there's a a work of redemption and deliverance and transformation so deep, so comprehensive, so amazing in verse 10 and in your life that one day your words will be, now my enemies are cast out. My sin is cast out as far as the east is from the west. What, what plagued me my whole life is sunk as deep as the oceans are. Who, who, is, who is here? God is here. I'm in this city And Psalm 23 was surely right. He said, even though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I know this. One day, where will I dwell? In the house of the Lord. You see, the psalmist knows there's there's coming a different day. And it might not be today, and it might not be tomorrow, and it might not be in this lifetime, but there's going to be a day where no more sin, and no more disease, and no more suffering, and no more pain, and no more betrayal, or offense, or injustice, or oppression will be. No, because God will be the only one there. His glory will fill every space, and there will be no more enemies. There will be no more enemies And Psalm 6 is asking us to look up and see that God and to hold on by faith in Him. To rightly, honestly acknowledge sin inside of us and suffering around us and not work harder, but just cry out, God, have mercy. Have mercy. 
On me, a sinner. On me, a sufferer. God, come get involved in this. I'm desperate. And this morning, if you're in that spot, the gospel good news is that when you cry out that way, he hears. And there's not a sin so wicked or a suffering so pervasive that the arms of God won't come crashing down to sanctify and set free and save and sustain you. God, who has promised to do that, is faithful. He will do it. Would we be found as those who are crying out, clinging to him, trusting him to sanctify us, to save us, and to sustain us to the end? Let's pray. God, this morning, this year, forever, we need you. Every hour, we need you. In our sin, we're crying out that you would come and save, come and set us free. In our suffering, that you would come and that you would sustain us, that you would come and deliver us, that you would come and push back the darkness and the pain. We set our eyes on you. God, we set our faith on you that one day you will. You will and you are coming and when you do come, your light will break through and no more darkness will exist. You will break through and no more sin will exist. You will break through and no more pain will exist. You will break through and no more injustice will exist. You will do it. God, strengthen us. God, help us to not quit. Help us to not give up. Help us not seek to save ourselves and spend our energy, energy trying to Deliver ourselves, but draw us into the invitation, God, the invitation of honest desperation. Help us cry out, God, believing that when we do, you hear and you come. Do it now for your glory and our joy. Amen.